That's what that pause seemed like, right? Like I was waiting for your pause. Okay, 2014, November. And uh, I got this text message from my buddy Wes. I don't take screenshots of a lot of my text messages, but this was a bucket list item. On my bucket list since I'd been 10 years old had been go to a World Series game. Now, that was the year Joe Carter hit the home run for the Blue Jays, and I just fell in love with October baseball. Uh, and then our Royals made the World Series in 2014, if you'll remember. And now, like, it was higher on the bucket. It was like a, a, bullet, a bullet bucket list item with a, a, an asterisk next to it, you know? And so my buddy Wes, on game two of 2014 World the day of the, the second game of the 2014 World Series, he sends me a message, and this is the message. Hey, it's Wes. I have four tickets for you tonight. Can you use them? Yes! Like, <laughs> then we tried to call each other, and it was going straight to voicemail, and we couldn't. I'm like, please don't give them away. Please don't give them away to anyone else. I promise, Wes, I will meet you anywhere. And then uh, we finally coordinated at this, the Sheraton at the Crown Center in the lobby, this envelope that had my name on it. I remember walking in and grabbing it. And, and then uh, his text came at like the bottom of the first inning, 748. <laughs> Did you get the tickets? Like, yes, we're in here. I, I grabbed three buddies, Steve Weatherford, Justin Smith, and my brother, Abe. And we, we went in and just had this incredible, incredible experience. It was the most memorable sporting event I've, I've ever been to. Giordano Ventura threw like seven innings of incredible baseball, and, and the Royals won game two of the 14 World Series. And we didn't know 15 was coming, so we treated it like it was our last one for another 50 years, 30 years, whatever it was. Now, uh, I tried to make that dream come true on my own, scouring StubHub, entering every raffle, tagging anyone I could to try to make this dream come true to go to a World Series. I could not accomplish it. I tried without mortgaging my kid's college future. <laughs> Aside from that, I could not go to the baseball game. The face value on those tickets was $1,000 on StubHub and third place, uh, third party retailers. It was two, two to three times that. I could not accomplish my dream, but God could. <laughs> All right, well, it's just baseball, and we're going to talk about different dreams that God can meet and accomplish for us today. But, but that's, that was a dream I had. It was a bucket list item. Now, the dreams we're talking about today get a little bit deeper. Luke chapter 1 is where we're going to be. And in Luke chapter 1, there's a couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And they are, as we look back on the Christmas story, they are key players in God's story. They are not at the manger when Jesus is born, but they are instrumental and critical for God's mission of restoring the earth. And so we're going to go to that in just a moment. But first, I just wonder what your dreams are. I wrote down just a few things that this year, 2020, represents for me, like, like I had dreams and then they changed <laughs> or they were limited in what could have been done. For example, I, I began the year thinking about being a pastor for family movements here at the church. And this is my like 19th sermon this year. I did not plan on giving 19 sermons this year. You know? And God has just provided, but the dream changed. You know, it's not the dream I had. You know, I had uh, plans for uh, this incredible vacation in Minnesota with just Anna, my wife and I, and that got scrapped. I um, 
We've had salary cuts in every industry I know, and we felt the pinch here as a church staff too. And, and there's, there's just things that have changed, you know? And, and it seems like limits is the word that God has given me to help understand what happened. Hey, I gave you some limits. You thought you could do this, but here's some limits. Financial limits, friendship limits. I've lost some friendships this year. There's been just a lot of challenges that uh, if I think about them with God's perspective, I just see that, hey, you, you thought you could do this, but I want to I give you some finite, the finite nature of how things really are. For you, some of you, I just scribbled down a few things here, uh, but it is wondering when those, uh, those benefits will, uh, there's an end date to the unemployment benefits and that's looming, healthcare loss, having to ask for help. Some of us did that for the first time this year just had to say, I can't do Christmas gifts. Like we just don't have the, the means to do it. Some of us are hanging on to dreams of a job returning, of relaunching a startup after the pandemic. There's just a lot of things that have, uh, in some sense, vaporized, just went, Pfft. it's like they were dreams and then they're just vaporized. For this couple, Elizabeth and Zachariah, in their 70s, we believe, childless and simply wanting a child. He's a priest. She's married to a priest. They actually both come from different priestly families. So they're very kind of well-versed in, in rituals and what the temple meant and how God was a good God. And, and yet, they didn't have a, a child to call their own. Some of, some of you may be in that struggle right now. And the holidays become just a, a really challenging time. That struggle to want to have a child is, is a holy, deep one. And these two felt it, Elizabeth and Zechariah. I want to read to you what happens in Luke chapter 1. Both of them, Elizabeth and Zechariah, were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. It's in this moment that uh, uh, they have a weird system for deciding who would do the priestly duty for that week. It would be like uh, if uh, Seth and Craig and I and Michelle just kind of said, hey, let's throw some darts to see who's preaching this Sunday. <laughs> they would believe that the dart would kind of land on the right name. And so they didn't throw darts, but they rolled dice and did something that just determined whose turn it was to go into the temple. You didn't get to do this very often if you were a priest. One out of 52 weeks of the year, your tribe was selected to be selected from. So a big deal. And Zechariah gets chosen to offer the incense for worship in this moment. And, and it happens once a week. And they're familiar, guys, with, familiar with the scents and the smells, the, the memories that this weekly ritual was. Because a priest would enter and offer the incense. And there was a bowl of incense that was lit and, and then the smells would begin to wash through the air and then the, the priest would come out at the right time because the ritual, the ceremony was over. Well, Zechariah doesn't come out like at the right time and people start to wonder. They're like gathered around the tent in worship. Like this is a holy moment. This is a big deal for them every week for God's people. And here's what happens. His division, Zechariah's was on duty 
and this is not on the screens here, I just want you to hear this. He was serving as priest before God. He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then, here's what I want you to read with me on the screens. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. And you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. This is the moment. This is a angel, angel moments or pee your pants moments is what I like to call them in the Bible because everyone just freaks out and is like, what? This otherworldly being. And we're going to find out that an angel's name in just a moment. But this angel is now in the room and Zechariah is, is startled and he's listening and he, he offers to the angel a question. He gets to speak with an angel of God. In the very next verse, this is what Zechariah says. Verse 18, he asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel announces himself and says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. All right, Weirdville, right? It's a little strange. <laughs> it's just a clarifying question, right, that Zechariah asks. He just says, how can this be? And it's the question that answers, that Zechariah wants the answer to, but he can't he can't put it all together. He can't figure out why this would be happening now. And he, he really doesn't believe the angel. And this doubt is the reason that God mutes him. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I got TweetBot and like, I got people muted on TweetBot because they're just annoying. <laughs> That's probably not fair, but I, it's my social media app. So my prerogative. I mute the commercials when they're annoying. I don't, I don't know who you mute in your life, but it would seem like this muting of Zechariah. And we find out later that it's not just his speaking. His tongue is like locked up, okay? And, but it's also something about his hearing. He's like multiple senses are like now being messed with. And it's just like, God, what is happening here? It seems like punishment. And he's just trying to get clarity, but... It's not just that he's getting clarity. It's that he really doesn't believe God's goodness. He doesn't believe that this could be possible for him, especially in their old age. Like, how can this be? This could have been three decades ago, but we are beyond this good plan, Gabriel. So Zechariah walks out and he's locked up. Like, there's, there's no words. And I imagine as he leaves, he leaves and there are the sea of worshipers, but he, he can't speak to any of them. And he's kind of in a daze, just like having had this experience and he just walks back, but he can't go home because he's got a week still of priestly duty. And so he can't go home yet, but he just goes to his room. And I imagine that as he sits in his room, he's just like, what? Just like, what in the world? How, how do I, I, 
I've got nothing, you know? And he's like, gets out his clay tablet and starts to like just scribble to himself. And eventually the time winds down and he goes home. And now he's got to explain this to Elizabeth and somehow communicate what the angel has said. They return to normal and they're just doing the thing. And it's like this angel did this thing. It's all he can think about. He can't function really day to day. And then Elizabeth plays what is the greatest game of charades ever with him. <laughs> Within a few weeks time, she just says one word. Mm. <laughs> you know, like, we're pregnant. And he, he thinks this is the moment where we're now it's happening. It's happening. I didn't believe it, but now I believe that it's happening. And now I'll be able to speak. And he, he still, the tongue is locked. It says later that it was loosened. That's why it's, it's locked now. We can understand that it's just not moving. The muscle of the tongue is paralyzed. And so he's thinking back. He's like, I remember what the angel said. The angel said that when this would come to pass that I would be able to speak again. And I guess that means that we're still in the, the coming to pass. We find out that, uh, that Elizabeth remains hidden for five months. We don't know why. We don't know why she kind of goes into seclusion, but she decides, she and Zechariah decide that they need to hunker down for whatever reason, whether they wondered if this would still be a pregnancy five months from then or, or what was going on, but there was some intense hiding that happened. And for Zechariah, nine months of silence, not being able to speak about this amazing thing that he's experienced that is happening. When you and I cannot accomplish our dreams, God can. So the trick there is, the sneaky thing there is, sometimes it feels like I can accomplish my dreams. I can, like my buddy John, who's, get this, in the hand sanitizer business and, uh, in 2020. That's a great business to be in. And he's like, he can't keep the glycerin in stock to make the sanitizer and create new products and, and all that. But you can generate new ideas that like help you. Or you could, right now, there's somebody who's crafted a resume. They're applying for this leadership and teaching pastor position. We're praying for them. We're praying for you, person out there. And they are believing that if they can craft things in the right way, then they might land this job. And that's a God thing. God's going to line someone up and, and bring them to us. But, but I do that. You do that. You try to perfect the resume so that you can accomplish something. Or grades, like you got a GPA to keep and you accomplish a certain thing to keep that GPA where it is. I was a sophomore at Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I got this uh, freshman scholarship that was thousands of dollars. And in the fine print, please maintain a 3.7 GPA so this semester by semester renewable scholarship can be applied to your account. Awesome. Like, I can do that. And first semester, second semester of my first year, roll by gen eds and it's easy. I've got the awesome GPA. And then the core engineering classes hit first semester, sophomore year. <laughs> and I got the notice in my mailbox. You've been placed on academic probation. You have one semester to get your GPA back up above 3.7. Now probation's a strong word for a GPA being less than 3.7. 
And so I was a little flustered by that. And I go to my academic counselor and realize, no, it's, it's not a typo. You're on academic probation. And, uh, and you have to do the impossible to get this scholarship back. I didn't. I did not get the scholarship back. And try explaining to your immigrant dad back in Kansas City what probation is and how you're on it. And now he has a bigger bill to pay. (laughs) I think I can accomplish things because I experience the failure when I don't and the victories when I do. But the reality is that when these dreams are God's dreams, they are just his effort. Like I get to participate. I get to be an agent in accomplishing things but God is the one accomplishing these things. So the big idea uh, is this. And Joel, can you put the, um, yeah, that's, that's a great slide. When you can't accomplish your dreams, God can't. I just want you to strike through like the first clause there and just really leave today with knowing that God can. Whatever your dreams are, God can. And uh, disclaimer, I have dreams that are like wacky dreams. Like I'd like a, a minivan without some dents in it right now. <laughs> we went through a hailstorm this summer and I don't think that God's really interested in the minivan being upgraded necessarily. He could be. I'm not saying that nice stuff is a bad thing, but, um, but God's dreams, what we find from Elizabeth and Zechariah and Mary and Joseph, whose stories we're going to hear later this month, those dreams like collide with his purposes for the world. This baby, John, John the Baptist, will be the forerunner who clears out the forest so that Jesus can share his message. He will be the one that baptizes Jesus and helps him launch his ministry. And we find out that Mary, so Elizabeth is in her 70s, is what uh, scholars presume. And Mary is a teenager. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is a teenager and Mary comes to visit her relative, Elizabeth, and as she comes in, here's what it says. Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child that you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, Mary, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. These two families, like these two babies, inextricably linked, and they, yes, fulfilled dreams for Elizabeth and Zechariah and Mary and Joseph to have families, but more importantly than that, they connect with God's dream for the world. You and I have dreams, and those dreams are going to be connected if we will dig and mine and listen for what God has wired in us and gifted us to do, they will line up with God's dreams for the world. I believe that. I had a, um, a June coffee with this pastor friend, Paul Varghese is his name. And he became, he'd been a family friend for like two or three years. And then I finally met him in June and got to have some one-on-one time. And he tragically passed away. He's one of the friendships I described. He, he passed away in August uh, with COVID complications. And it, it just, it was my last time seeing him in June. And it just, it made me hang on to every word. Like I'd scribbled him down in my journal and I kind of thought he was off and didn't really have much to speak to me. I was this kind of a cocky young pastor meeting with an with a older seasoned mature pastor. And I had a heart check like immediately. I was like, God, I don't know what that was about. But then he, 
he passed away, and I poured over that journal entry, and, and I found what he'd written. Here's what he wrote, what I wrote down that he'd, written, he'd said to me. God gives everyone a dream. Don't do someone else's dream. Find the dream God has given you. It just set me on this like course to, to, and I still haven't figured out like the dream, but God has wired me to do something, you to do something really unique on planet earth. And you might be like a teenager and feel like the world doesn't expect much from you. That's not God's thought. God, God thinks that you're awesome and that you could today in your teenage years serve him. And maybe you're like in a spot where you're like, ministry feels like it's really far away, but you're in a desk job and you don't know how that could be true for you. But God has a purpose for your life. God wants to use where you are right now. He wants to give you a dream that's not gonna be a copycat cookie cutter dream like anyone else's. And he wants to fulfill that dream. What happens, uh, uh, was, what happens next is, is more silence for Zechariah. A couple months go by. The baby's actually born. And in this moment, there's the, <laughs> there's the eight days later circumcision ritual, and they bring the baby to be named and endure this ritual. And, and that's when Zechariah still can't talk. He's probably at this point pretty frustrated. Like, I, this has happened. The baby is born. It has come to pass. And I'm still not able to speak. And the neighbors, the relatives, excuse me, kind of crowd in and they begin to jockey for naming rights because Zechariah can't talk. And Elizabeth is, well, she's mom, but she's a woman and she might get it wrong. That was like the prevailing thought about women in that day. And so Elizabeth says his name is John and the family members say, no, that's not a family name. We can't let that go. And since Zechariah can't really speak up, and Elizabeth and the relatives turn and, and ask Zechariah. Here's what happens. This is not on the screens. I want you to hear what happens. They said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue set free and he began to speak, praising God. There's a song that Zechariah writes that comes out of this nine months of silence and the song gets unlocked. I feel like it's like written. And then as soon as he says, his name is John, it's like the creative juices flow. The Holy Spirit just pens this song through Zechariah and it's in our Bibles and it just gushes at the goodness of God. And we realize now that the muting of Zechariah was not at all punishment, not at all punishment, but it was actually restoration. It was helping Zechariah believe that God could be that good. You see, Zechariah, as a priest, had somehow precluded himself from like really living in this good thing that God wanted to give he and Elizabeth, a baby in the decade of their 70s. <laughs> he couldn't believe that. He didn't have a grid for that. And so he just chooses to doubt and gets this nine months of silence. 
And I think it's restorative, not punitive. It's not God muting him and punishing him, but it's God saying, believe that, bro. Believe that, son. Like, I'm that good. I'm going to do it. And you know what? If you can't believe that, then you need some time. You need some time to not talk to your friends. You need some time to sit right here in your room and think about how this could be true in your life. And then you're going to see the baby bump. And then you're going to know it's for real. And then you're going to see the baby born. And then you're going to be like, oh, this is for real. And then you're going to know that I, Zechariah, am a good God. I love you so much. So you not getting to talk for nine months is just how much I love you. I want you to know how much I love you. I had one of these moments two weeks ago. Um, we are out in the atrium and uh, Chris, my buddy here on the first row, we were just praying together and, uh, and Chris, with my permission, uh, and we were both wearing masks, but we definitely violated the six foot parameter rule because he was standing over here and he extended his hand and he just put it on my chest and started praying for me and, and I, it was really powerful. Uh, he stepped away and he could see my eyes and, and he just looked at me and said, bro, God loves you. <laughs> and I, uh, it's like, yeah, I should know that. <laughs> you know, professional pastor, I should know that. But God used this moment just to remind me of how much he loves me. I want you to have not the same moment because there's a hundred of you in this room. There's anywhere from five to 700 people online in living rooms right now experiencing this, but I'd love for you to feel God's love for you. And it could be that you have a little one right next to you and you just take your hand and put it on their chest. It could be that you are sitting next to a spouse and, and you do that for one another. Or what I want to invite you in the room to do is just to, to place your, your own hand just on your chest right now, if, if you would. I just want to pray that God's dreams for your life would be restored. That you would see, that you would feel that he loves you so much. He's not forgotten any of your dreams. He loves you so much. I'm going to pray right now. God, for us in the room, for those online, in this moment, we ask you to heal our hearts to restore our picture of who you are, God, to know that you are the one who will accomplish our dreams. You love each of us so much. Pray for the kids in living rooms right now that you would tell their little hearts how much you love them. That you tell us older hearts how much you love us. In your name, Jesus, amen. There's going to be seven to 800 different responses to that, what you felt in that moment. And you didn't have to feel anything. The fact that you did it, like this might get into a little bit of Weirdville for you, but right now it's really warm. <laughs> Just where my, my hand was could have been the 98.6 degree hand. You know, I get that and you can rationalize that. But it just feels a lot warmer to me because <laughs> God <laughs> breaks through the natural to tell me, bro, I love you. And I would love for you to experience some heat from that moment to feel how much I love you. And so wherever you are, whatever you experienced 
just a light bulb going on. God loves me. Shoot, dog. That's, or God loves me. Like, you just feel it for the first time in a different way. I just want to say yes to that. And, and here's my challenge today. I'm, I'm, I'm about done. <laughs> Silence, nine months, was critical for Zechariah to understand God's goodness, okay? For you and I, I just want to take you, the challenge, take you to take the challenge that I'm taking, which is I try to do this five minutes every day uh, at a minimum, just find some quiet on the daily, like, and the other 23 hours and 55 minutes of my day are filled with chaos and two and six-year-olds and potty training and princess potties on every floor of our house. And like, like it's chaos the rest of the time. Uh, but these five minutes where I pause and park it and sit there, I just try to be silent with God. It's this like container for joy that grows in me when I do that, you know? And it's not just silence, all right? Because some of you are like, I'm single. I have a lot of silence. <laughs> or like, I, I wish I could get silence. And like, you know, we're on all different places with the word silence. But it's not just silence. It's an active presence of God. It's experiencing God's presence in that moment. And that's what you will experience if you do it. And it's, it's a multiplier. I don't have the math because it's God math. But it takes the five minutes and it, it just grows like yeast and dough grows and it becomes something different. And your Christmas season experience can hinge on your connection to God in solitude and silence. And so what I do, I get distracted. And so what I do, I set a five minute timer. I also push the little moon button that says do not disturb. So for five minutes, there's no dings or notifications on my device. <laughs> and then I set the timer and then I just say a word, peace or Jesus. When as soon as I get distracted, I just like go back to peace, Jesus. I just say something that grounds me. Sometimes I'll light a candle. Sometimes I'll play a song to begin or end the silence. Whatever you choose to do, make it yours because you're the only you. <laughs> and you're going to know how God wants to share his love in a deep way with you. All right. Well, I think it's, it's fascinating to look at these characters, Elizabeth and Zechariah, and to know that their stories greatly inform our stories and how we can experience God. Let me pray for us, Heartland, uh, and give you a blessing, and then we'll be on our way today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, I bless you, Heartland Community Church. Amen.